Hey, hello friends, and welcome to this message which is specially handpicked to minister to you and to bless you. I am Pastor Lincoln Seranga, Senior Pastor here at Liberty Christian Fellowship in London. My passion is the pursuit of 100% answered prayer. If that sounds like a good subject to you, why don't you follow me at lincolnseranga.com and also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and other social media where you will be able to find other messages as well as find access to short courses, coaching opportunities and more. God bless you as you listen to this message. So I've got a theme that has been rolling around in my spirit for a while now. And um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in a vein that perhaps I've been in for some time. So that for, so for some of you, this may be a, a repetition. But I'm learning from the best, from my husband, that we learn by repetition, right? I'm one of those people who's like, what's new, what's new, what's new, what's new? I like, I like new. But sometimes always liking new makes you a bad steward of what's old. So I'm learning a lesson. So on Friday, Pastor Bernard spoke to us under a heading, Why God Created Man. And I was blessed by the heading. I just stopped. I parked there. Um, why God created man. Why God created you. Why was there a need for me? Why was there a need for you? Why did God create us? And uh, every inventor, every creator has a picture in mind when they're creating. Every invention, every creation. You know, even when it's a small child putting stuff together. Have you ever looked at a little child and they've made something and to you it looks like nothing. But when you ask them, what is this? They say, it's an aeroplane. Here is the wing. Have you ever seen that? And they've got something in mind as they're creating this thing. And to you and I, it may not look like it, but there is no inventor that makes something for nothing. Nobody makes useless stuff. And I'd like to read these scriptures that have been swirling around my head. Um, first one, in answer to that question, is from Ephesians 2 and verse 10. It says, for we, why don't you guys read with me, at least those of you that are in here. Let's go on to one, two. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, why don't you turn to somebody and say, you are created for good works that God created beforehand. Some of you may need to shout across the aisle. You were created You're his workmanship. 
created for good works. Let me read it for you in the Amplified Classic. I got that from you, Christina. Thank you. For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us. Taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Woo. God created for a purpose. God does not make useless. God does not make random. God does not do random. Now I want to take it further because the Amplified there says, recreated in Christ Jesus. So there is a creative plan. But when you're recreated in Christ Jesus, there is yet another plan. Um, it's almost like he, he re-emphasizes the original plan. And this is the verse that I've been going on about, which is Mark 3, verses 13 to 15. They're going to throw it up there, and we'll read that together. On two, one, two. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those who himself wanted. I wish I could just park there. And they came to him. Uh-huh, next. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with them and that he might send them. Stop there. He called them because he chose them for himself. And then he appointed them. He called them and he sent them that they might preach. This is how Amplifier says. He went up on the hillside, called to himself those who he wanted and he chose you can say to yourself, I am wanted and I am chosen. I am wanted and I am chosen. And he appointed them to be with them that he might send them out to preach. So God's creation of you and Jesus' choice of you was very intentional. He handpicked you. And he handpicked you for a reason. Mark clearly says that he chose you that he may send you. <laughs> he chose them that he might send them. He chose them that he might use them. And today I want to preach on a subject that I've called from abuse to use. He chose you that he may use you. Say it to yourself. He chose me that he might use me. The choice of people that he came up with to me and you may not have looked like the best choice. It was a mixture of all sorts. There were educated, distinguished doctors and there were coarse, 
fishermen who could not read and write. There was a whole mixture of people. In there was one who was struggling with his faith. We know him as Doubting Thomas. In, in the mix was a petty thief. We know him as Judas. It was a mix of all sorts of people, but he chose them that he might send them. Every one of them was hand-picked. God is intentional. I don't care what your life looks like. God hand-picked you because he knows that he has a use for you. There is no such thing as a useless disciple. In fact, there is no such thing as a useless person. No such. God does not make useless. He doesn't. There is nothing that he has made that is unusable. Nothing that he has chosen that is useless. I was listening to a testimony last night uh, from a pastor's wife online. And she was saying, uh, she was talking about how she spent many, many years injured. What was the cause of her injury? Her mom walked out on her when she was very young and the mother said of her and her um, brother that they are useless. Now, I don't know how many of you, when you're going through school, sometimes, you know, I, I don't know whether it only pertains to Africa, but sometimes when people are frustrated with us, they use words that are so heavy, like useless. You are so useless. But today I want you to lift your head. There is no such thing as useless. There is no such thing as useless. I, 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 we were laughing in recollection of a Sunday school child some years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, who, somebody who was doing Sunday school, you know when you do Sunday school duty as a parent, and, and this child did something naughty, uh, and, the, and the teacher, parent, said, you are useless. And this child, you know, don't play with Gen Z. You know, they know their, their place. Stood up and he said, I may have done something naughty, but I am not useless. So look at your neighbor and say, I may have made some mistakes, but I am not useless. I may not have fulfilled my potential, but I am not useless. I may not be where I'm supposed to be, but I am not useless. It may not be evident right now what I shall be, but I am usable. I am chosen. I am elected. I was picked out of the darkness. I was picked out from my family because he chose me to send me. Turn to your neighbor say, you're not just a pretty face. <laughs> he chose you to send you. I want that to sink in your spirit. 
Doesn't matter how many years you've spent in the wilderness going round and round in circles and wondering where you're going. It doesn't matter. God chose you for a purpose. Let me speak to those of us that are over the age of 50. You know, you get to a point in your life when you're growing older and you start to question, am I done? Have I finished? Is this it? Uh, could I do anything more? I want you to lift your face and say, I am still here because I'm useful. He chose them to use them. But sometimes the vessel that is chosen gets abused. Whenever you use something for a purpose different from what that thing was, it is abuse, right? So if I use a chair as a bed, that's not what it's for. And misuse and abuse is the same thing. Let me give you the example. We laughed very hard when Harriet was telling us in Morning Glory. She was saying how, I don't know whether it's something she's seen because she's in the hospitality industry. But she was saying how she's seen people use kettles to boil rice. Now, if you're one of those people who uses a kettle to boil rice, repent because that is abuse. And the kettle was not made to be a rice cooker. When you try to use the kettle as a rice cooker, you spoil it. And it may not be usable for some time until you restore the element. And, and when she said that recently, I was recalling a story um, I'm old enough to have been uh, an adult at the time when Museveni came into power. That makes me very old. But um, at the time that he came, before he came into power, one of the things that we had a big problem with was the roads. Anyone that was old enough to remember those things, just wave. It's okay. You're in good company. Um, so all our roads were potholed and hadn't been done for, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years. No one had bothered doing any roadworks. So he came into power. One of the big things we were like, we, we welcomed him like a savior. He's going to come. He's going to do our roads, all of those things. So long and short is there was a place on the way to Mbarara. There was a stop where there was a grader. How many of you know what a grader is? It's this big fat old machine that smooths roads. It's used in road, road making. So there was this big grader that was parked by the roadside. And I think it had got parked maybe in Obote's time, like many, many, many years before. So the grader had now become a landmark. So when people wanted the driver to drop them off, they would say, aha, greater. Because it had been sitting there forever. And it had grass growing out of it and all sorts of things. And now people have, were using it as if it was a milestone. That is what I call abuse. And one of the things that he came, when he came, 
um, into power, he was like, why have we not been able to make these roads smooth? And people are, ah, we don't have the machines and whatever. So the story goes that he was driving past and he told his motorcade to stop and he went backwards. And he said, the nation is crying for graders so that we can do our roads. And you people have made the grader a milestone where you say, aha, grader, take me out at the grader. And he took that grader and he put the parts together or arranged for somebody to put the parts together. And the grader did the task for which it was called. Now that is what Jesus came to do. He came to take our broken pieces. He did not save us to make us a decoration. He, may, he saved us that he may send us. And one of his tasks is to transform us from abuse to use. So I want us to dwell today on the story that is found in John chapter 4 and verse 42. It's a story you know well. It is the story of the woman at the well. And I love that story. I think I could preach on that story for the rest of my life. Um, I love the way that it begins if you're in John 4, verse 4. It says, it was necessary. Or some of your Bibles say, he needed, love it, he needed to go through Samaria. And in doing so, he arrived at a Samaritan town called Sychar, near the track, near the plot of ground that, let me read this one, Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Carry on. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey. And thus by the well, ah, it was about the sixth hour. I think that one is skipping. Presently, when a woman of Samaria came along to draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone off to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew, ask me a Samaritan and a woman to drink for the Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if only you had known and recognized God's gift and who this is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and instead he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. How then can you provide living water? Where do you get your living water? Are you greater and superior to our ancestor, Jacob, who gave us this well and who used to drink from it himself? And Jesus answered her, all who drink of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever takes a drink of the water that I give him shall never, no, never be thirsty anymore. But the water that I bring, give him, shall become a spring of water welling up. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Are you still with me? So that I may never get thirsty, nor have to come here to draw. At this, Jesus said, go call your husband. Come back here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five 
and the man you're living with is not your husband. In this you have spoken truly. The woman said to him, sir, I see and understand that you are a prophet. Then she goes into this whole argument about where they're supposed to worship. And he says, verse 23, a time will come, however, indeed it is already here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking uh, just such people as this, these as worshipers. Verse 25, the woman said, I know Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know and make it clear to us. And Jesus said to him, her, I who speak with you am he. <laughs> then the woman first, verse 28, left her jar of water and went to the town. And she began telling the people, come see a man who has told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Must not this be the Messiah, the anointed one? So the people left town and they set out to him. Long and short is the whole village came to him. Hmm? Verse 41, many more believed and adhered and relied on him because of what he himself had said. This is a story of an abused woman. A woman who finds herself in a situation where for three different reasons, she is the scum of the earth. A woman who finds herself in a position where she is so much the scum of the earth that she has to avoid the public glare and go to collect water in the middle of the day while the noon sun is on her face. A woman who has been rejected now, by way of background, you need to understand this. That the relationship with, between the Jews and the, uh, the Samaritans was very tense. It was a bad situation. The Samaritans were mixed breed. And for the Jew, they were the lowest of the low. They were called dogs. Why? They were a mixture in religious affairs because they had taken the worship of Yahweh and they had they were worshiping him on a different mountain from what he required but they were also mixed racially so a Jewish man had no business speaking to a Samaritan in fact a Jewish man had no business going through Samaritan yet because the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost, he said that I, he needed, I need. <laughs> when God was wandering around Uganda, he needed to come via Nakasero to pick me up. When God was moving around London, he needed to come to where you are to pick you up. He knew it was a risk to himself because the Samaritans hated the Jews. But he took the risk because he was looking for this woman. 
And the Bible says that just at the right time, Jesus got tired and sat down. <laughs> and he sat exactly where the woman was coming. God makes no mistakes. He is a master planner. Every second, every encounter is timed and planned and coordinated. Everybody else may have been saying, why is this woman even going to collect water at lunchtime? But Jesus planted himself there at the right time. Allow me to just digress for a minute to say that there is a God that orchestrates our lives. There is a God that orchestrates our lives. Even when we are broken, there is a God that orchestrates our steps. Even when we have taken a wrong direction, there is a God that orchestrates our steps. And he meets us. And so this woman, she was spiritually and culturally defiled just by birth. She had racial issues. Wrong side. And this was way before black lives mattered. This was way before other people mattered. You were either a Jew or you were a dog. And that's how it was. And she happened to be a dog. Then in addition to being a dog, she was a woman. And this was way before me too. Women were the scum of the earth. We were so insignificant that when they counted the people, they said there were a thousand men. We didn't count. This was a woman. And we are talking about Messiah taking time out to sit by the well and wait on a woman. Not just a woman, a Samaritan woman. But she was not just a dog. And she was not just a woman. But she was a woman with a dodgy lifestyle. So you might say her gender issues were a birth thing. And her racial issues were a birth thing. But she had also made choices. That put her outside usable. Now if we were choosing somebody to use in the church, this one never would have qualified. Because her history. And in fact when he met her, it wasn't her history. It was her current. She was triply disqualified. Ask your neighbor for me, what are you disqualifying yourself on the basis of? Here is somebody who was triply disqualified. Now, I don't know what kind of woman this was, what her nature was. But everything, everywhere she went, people were clearing the way. Because they don't want to be defiled. They don't want to identify. And particularly a rabbi. How do you identify rabbi with this kind of woman? Do you know what this kind of woman is? And Jesus comes to meet her. He had to encounter her. Watch him as 
he patiently speaks to her while she brings up all her questions and he patiently explains to her until he zeroes in on her issues. Now her issue was that she had been a wife five times and she was living with a sixth man. And I'm sure in her mind she was saying, now this is a seventh one. Because every one of them started like that. Give me a drink. What, what, what's your name? Now what does this one want? Now, I stop there for a minute and I think, this woman, she was being insulted by everybody about how loose she is. But for you, in, to be able to be married five times and you're on a sixth one, there has to be something good about you. Yeah. There has to be. Husband number one, number two, then number two tells everybody, don't go anywhere near. Number three comes and number four and number five and everybody, the whole village is talking about you. And number six comes. She had talent. There was something about her. And I say that to say this. That very often the enemy takes the things that are our gifts. And he abuses the gift. And he makes us unusable in the eyes of men. But God can see the gift. There was something about her. I think that she must have been pleasant. I think that, do you know how hard people try to get married to one man? To get one to pay attention. Even to get one date. And this one is on number six. There was something in there. She had a gift. She had a talent. She had something that God could use. Sometimes it looks like a problem, but it's something that God can use. Sometimes everybody might be saying, that one is too much. She's too emotional. God can take that emotional and he can use it for his glory. Sometimes God may be some people may be saying she's too strong-willed. He is a God that can use our weaknesses. He is a God that can use our strength. Even our weaknesses because the Bible says that when I am weak, he shows himself strong when he takes my weakness if I'm too little or I'm too small or I have fallen by the wayside then God is just building the testimony because when God does something with me she has this encounter with Jesus they speak to each other and by the end of one encounter, without a sozo, without counseling, without discipleship, 
without class A, B, and C, without therapy, without intervention, without, she goes and she converts a whole village to the kingdom of God. From one encounter with the King of Kings, from one encounter with Jesus, her life is transformed and she transforms a whole village from an encounter with the King of Kings. Something happens when we come face to face with the King of Kings. Something happens when we meet him. Something happens. Something happened. I don't know about you, but something happened to me. It is a thing that keeps me going when everybody else says, what are you doing? It is what keeps me on this podium. Something happened. Hmm. All we need is an encounter. By an encounter with him, we can be transformed. There are transforming encounters in the presence of God. And I came to sell you encounters today. I came to sell you encounters. I came to say there is a way that you can meet him. What is not religious, which is not about just church. You can meet him and he can take the rubbish of your life and make it for a testimony. Let me tell you about this woman. When she met the guy, <laughs> you know the advantage of her? That when Jesus touched her, she did not even need anybody to give her a podium. Her history had already given her a podium. Because she had those in-laws, and then these in-laws, and then in-law number three, and then in-law number four, and in-law number five, and in-law number six, and then she had the what do you call that? I was going to call them the, the jealousies. The, the haters. She had <laughs> the wives who took the other husband. She had connections. When God worked on her, when he met with her, she was already connected. And the woman who had been bowing her head, who had been avoiding people, walked with her head held up high. And she went straight to in-law set number one. And she told him, come and see the man who I have met. He has changed my life. And then they, he, she left them asking questions. She went to in-law set number two. And she said, he changes lives. He told me everything that I've ever... Did he tell you? Did he know about me? Yeah, he knew you by name. He knew the whole story. And then she went to number three and she said he even knew about you. One encounter, one encounter. One encounter, one encounter. And God can take your history. Oh my goodness, sometimes we're so ashamed of our history. But do you know that your history is part of his story? Your history is part of your testimony. Hmm. Even where you are now, don't be afraid to say that this and that is happening in my life. It's part of the testimony. It is usable. 
And God knows why he let you go that path. God knows there is nothing that he has allowed that he cannot change and use it as a vessel for his glory. And so in this encounter with the seventh man, her life was transformed from abuse to use. She became the greatest female evangelist ever. In one encounter. Now let me allow, allow me to just spend a minute talking about encounters because encounters come in a variety of ways. In the Bible, in our lives. By election, number one. There are those who God seems to chase for nothing. Do you know? They're drunk. They're sitting by the wayside. They're doing all sorts of rubbish. And God just pounces on them. The Samaritan woman was like one of those. God just pounced on her. It wasn't, I don't think she prayed that day. She wasn't like the woman with the issue. We'll talk about that later. But God just pounced on her and said, you, yes, you. Remember Paul, who became uh, Saul, who became Paul? Another one whom God just arrested mid-flight. But if you look through the scriptures, those whom God just elects like that, mid-flight, are few and far between. Because some of us are sitting back on our laurels because we're saying, well, if God wanted me to do something special, he would have just arrested me. He would have just, I don't know, split the sky, sent lightning, wrote something on the sky, and then I would be conformed, I mean transformed. There are those that it happens to, but that is not everybody. A lot of us think that the encounters with God are completely God's choice. No, I don't think that that's for everybody. And let me prove it. There are those, number two, who encounter God by consistency in service. Shall I give you an example? Acts chapter 10, verse 1, records a man called Cornelius. This was a man who was a centurion, faithful giver, faithfully gave. And we are not told how long, but how many of you will agree with me, but for us to call you a faithful giver, you don't just give this Sunday. He had been doing it for a while. He gave and gave, and every time that you give, of your service, of yourself, of your money, heaven is taking note. And so it's like God was watching this guy who was a Gentile outside of the promises of God. And he was looking at his giving and he was watching his sacrificial life. And he got to a point where he said, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> this guy impresses me. And he, sent, he said he was a devout man and he treated God, he gave to his household, he gave 
arms. And then at one point, God just bursts into his prayer room. And he says, Cornelius. You know, like when someone has sang a song and it's got to you. And you suddenly stand up and you say, whoa. His encounter with God was from faithful giving. And at a certain point, he had that encounter with God. I believe that there is a level of sacrifice and there is a level of giving of yourself that compels the invisible realm to open. I believe that there is a level of giving, a level of sacrifice that activates angelic activity. Hmm? The story is all over the Bible. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Do you remember that God looked on Abel's sacrifice and he said, whoa, I respect that. There is something about the sacrificial giver that opens up the heavens. Number three, we encounter, we're talking about encountering God in that life transforming way. Number three, by prayer. Hmm? Somebody say prayer. The early church's first encounters were born in the place of prayer. Acts chapter 1, verse 40, Acts chapter 2, they were all in one place, in one accord, praying when suddenly the heavens were open and tongues of fire came upon them. Prayer, calling out to God. Bartimaeus seems to have understood that encounters sometimes come by prayer. And therefore, when he heard that Jesus is somewhere, remember he was blind, he did not know exactly where Jesus is, but he knew that he is in the vicinity. And so he began to do what he knows how to do. He began, he did not know any marvelous prayer because he was not educated he had not been with a rabbi but he knew how to cry out so he began to cry son of David have mercy on me son of David have mercy on me and everybody was like you are overdoing it you and your prayer you're irritating us with your loud noises and he said this is the only thing I know how to do so I'm going to do it well until I meet with the one who can and make use of my uselessness. And they told him, shut up, Bartimaeus, you're irritating us. And he said, I'm so sorry, but I actually wasn't speaking to you. I'm speaking to the one who was meant to be coming. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Until Jesus turned. <laughs> We're going to make noise until he turns his face. I may not be like Mary who was picked up as a little virgin. I may not be like Paul who was thrown off his horse. But I have a voice and I can keep on shouting. Revival is coming. Son of David, send revival. Son of David, send revival. Son of David, send revival. Son of David, send increase. Number four, encounters come by association. <laughs> I love this one. By association. 
Do you know that you can have an encounter with God because of the people you hang out with? Let me put some meat on that. Mark chapter 2 tells the story of a paralytic, crippled, unable to reach Messiah by himself. He was paralyzed, I think, from the neck down. But he had good friends. Ask your neighbor, how are your friends? Four guys who said to him, we have heard something is happening in town. There is a guy who we think is Messiah. He is a healer. And he is at a certain man's house today. Come, we take you. So they put him on a, a bed. And they held the four corners. And they came to this house. And when they come to the house, there is no way in the world that they are able to get in there. Definitely for the paralytic, there was no way. Because the house was flooded. You guys read your Bible, you know these stories. And so the four friends said to him, do you trust us? You trust us, right? You trust us. Okay. We're going to strap you down on this bed. And we're going to climb up the house. What, you mean up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up those walls, up those walls. With me on there? Yeah, trust us. Take him up the wall, and then they said, now we're going to lower you. How are you going to lower me? I don't see no space. We're going to break the man's roof. And he's just saying, you know what? You guys, I trust you. <laughs> I trust you. And they lower him down into the house. And then the Bible says this. It says when God, when Jesus saw their faith, <laughs> this man here who was in need had no faith there was nothing for Jesus to see but Jesus saw the faith of the friend your son may not have any faith your daughter may not have any faith but when Jesus sees the faith of those who are That means to me, I can carry my children. I can carry my church. I can carry my workmates. I can carry them on my shoulder. And when Jesus sees my faith. <laughs> tell your neighbor, do you know that you can trigger an encounter for your neighbor? Tell someone else, do you know you can trigger an encounter for your husband? Stop saying, why did God give me this useless? Why did God give me Mr. Useless? Take Mr. Useless, put him on your shoulder and lower him into the presence of God and allow God to see your faith. I have a friend, I'm so sorry, time is running out. I'm just about to finish. I have a friend whose husband cheated on her. 
And she came to me and she said, Pastor Grace, what do I do? He's a Christian. He has cheated on me. I said, you have two options. The Bible allows you to stop right there because he has broken the covenant. Or else, it's up to you. If you want to, you can pray this man through. And she said, you know what? I do not want a broken home. I have children. I want to save this marriage. And I said to her, it is your choice. You can make this choice. It is up to you. Me, who was saying it, in my heart I was like... For me, you cheat on me, we are done. But thank God for praying women. She prayed and prayed and prayed and God began to orchestrate encounters. And God brought him out of his confusion and his mess. And God brought him into the kingdom. Today, ladies and gentlemen, he is a pastor serving God with everything that she ha he has within him. She puts him on her shoulder. And the other day she came to me and she said, I don't know whether I should have prayed a little less because he's too much. He's too spiritual. Encounters by association. How many of you have got some people in your family that you need to carry into the presence of God? How many of you have got some people around you who look like they're at the end of themselves, who look like they have no answer? Today, we can trigger their encounter. Lastly, we can trigger encounters by force. Ah, for me, this is the best one. It doesn't matter whether I am chosen material in my understanding or not. Or if I look like I can be very powerful or not. I can choose the encounter. And I want you to remember a little woman in Mark chapter 7 verse 24. Who we know as the Syrophoenician woman who came and she said, my daughter needs healing. And the master said, not now. And the master said, you are a dog. And the disciples said, go away, you're disturbing us. Everything, everybody in church was saying, not you. But this Syrophoenician woman said, I know what I desire from God. And she pressed and she said, Lord, even though you call me a dog and your disciples have been rude, some of you, if you had come to church and the ushers said, sorry, we don't take your type, that would be it. You'd be injured for the rest of your life. You'd be injured. Oh, the church, the church hurt me. The people in church hurt me. But not this woman. She came for an encounter. She was getting an encounter. Doesn't matter whether disciples believed in her or did not believe in her. Everybody was calling her useless dog, but we serve a God who takes what's abused and he uses it. She pressed. She insisted. And the master was right because it was not yet her time. But when we push 
for an encounter. God can give it to us before time. So before the cross, she encountered with the power of God. May God meet with us and bring us into his divine use. Every time that we encounter Jesus, we will hear the words, whom shall I send? Whenever you tarry in the presence of God, stand, we're going to pray. Whether by force, whether by association, choose all of them. Eh? All of them. You say, God, I haven't yet seen angels. I haven't been stopped on my path, but I'm going to find me some prayerful people and I'm going to be in the, in the presence just in case my encounter comes there and I'm going to push forward and I'm going to lean into the presence of God and I am going to meet with the one who makes us of use. I want you to turn your hearts to God. Hmm. Creation is longing, waiting for our manifestation, for us to stop being like that grader, parked at the side of the road, letting moss and grass grow over us. It is time for us to return to the use that God created us for. That God created us for. And he can take those parts of us that are abused. He can take our abused lives. He can take our broken pieces. And he can use them for his glory. So if you want him to do that with you today, raise your hand. Raise your hand before the master. Just begin to talk to the master. And say, here I am, here I am. Here I am, here I am. You know how to piece this together. You know how to make this useful. You know how to make a story out of the pieces of my life. You know how to take what is broken and to make it whole. You know how to do this, Lord. You are the God that took that woman that was a nothing, Lord, and you made her for signs. And here I am, here I am. Lift your voices. Come on all over the building. And online, lift your voices. Offer yourself to him. Offer yourself to him for that encounter, for that meeting with him that transforms us, that takes us from the roadside and polishes off the dust and removes the moss and removes the grass. I want you to just press in. Press in like Bartimaeus. Press in and say, Lord, son of David, Use me. Use me. Now I had this picture in my heart as I, as I prayed. I want you to find someone in the auditorium. Maybe the person next to you, maybe the person in front of you. You're going to pray for them. You're going to pray that God will make their lives impactful, useful. God will take the broken pieces. Why don't you pair up? You can be two, you can be three. Yeah, the Bible says we should. We should pray for one another. We don't just come to be pretty faces. 
Lift up your voices. Pray for one another. Pray that God will take what they're supposed to be used for. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Begin to prophesy over them. Begin to prophesy over them. Yeah, we are, we're called to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, unto love and good works. Stir them up. Stir up the gift. Shenderebo sakarababa. Yerebo saterebo Manderebo kosere. Stir that gift inside their hearts. Stir it up, stir it up. Press on for another minute. Let us lift up one another as if we're lifting each, as if you're doing it for yourself. Present them to the master. Present them to the throne of grace. We present ourselves as living sacrifices. Wherever that my friend and my neighbor may be today, wherever they have walked, whatever has discouraged them, whatever has caused them to underperform, whatever has caused them to feel abused, whatever has overshadowed them, whatever has overwhelmed them, Lord, we declare in the name of Jesus that you will use them for your glory, that you will use them for your power, that you will use them for the kingdom that the power of God will be manifested, that the glory of God will be manifested. Father, use their lives. Use their lives for your glory, for your glory, for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your purposes, the purposes of God. <laughs> you created us, you designed us, handpicked us, redeemed us, set us apart for a purpose and for your glory. Lord, we pray that every purpose will be awakened by the power of the Most High God, that today will mark a change in our lives, that we will stop the abuse, that we will stop the misuse, and that we will come into the use and the purposes of God. Hallelujah.